Welcome to another installment of Innovation Fresh. It's me, Chris Denson. Not Joe, right? No. No, not Joe. Uh, I'm not inside, here for I Joe. I love doing inside jokes on the show and then nobody knows what I'm talking about. Um, but I do, and it's funny. I my audience as much as oh, possible. That's good. Uh, in case you guys are tuning in for the first time ever, this show covers all things marketing, ideas, creativity, innovation, obviously, and smart people doing smart things. And uh, in the studio today is the well-dressed, well-coiffed uh, Emily Chang. <laughs> I'm actually in pajamas. You just can't see me. <laughs> if that's what you sleep in, you live a really fancy life. <laughs> like I sleep in a tuxedo. <laughs> it's not even one of those t-shirts like with a fake dress on it. It's, okay. it's actually a dress. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, tell me about your blue streak. Or is it green? Is it blue green? It's uh, my daughter calls it peacock. Blue, green, purple. Oh, I see. But yeah. I've abdicated control years ago. So I have the same hairstylist in Shanghai for a long time. And he just does whatever he wants. I like him. Uh, shout out to... Uh, Eason is his name. Eason, got it. All right, shout out to Eason. One day he'll maybe do my hair. <laughs> when it's I grow complicated. Up. I don't know. Uh, so <laughs> you are newly appointed as the CMO of Starbucks China. Yes. Um, no small, no small job there. Uh, but before we get into that, why don't you give us a little bit of a one hundred and one on who Emily is as an individual, as a professional? What's your what's your life synopsis? My life synopsis. <laughs> I'm Emily Chang. Uh, I'm not in my pajamas. I met Chris last year and I'm delighted to be on the show. Let's see. I started my career at Procter & Gamble for 11 years, very traditional in Midwestern Ohio. Then I went and joined Apple and went out to Asia Pacific looking after Apple retail marketing. Uh, moved into hospitality and working at Intercontinental Hotels Group. And I've just started at Starbucks. And now I happen to have two days in L.A. doing uh, an immersion in L.A. coffee culture, which is an excellent part of the job. So how many how many cups of coffee have you had since you've, you've been in L.A.? Since I've been in L.A., probably 19. I've <laughs> <laughs> been here about 36 hours. That's pretty awful. Um, it's well, a great job. What's, the, what's that experience like? What's, what is your coffee culture exploration? Like, what happens when you come to a place like this and you go like, all right, let's go drink some coffee. What are you looking for? I don't know what I'm looking for because I'm new to the company and new to the industry. <laughs> what I'm here to experience is innovation. I'm here to experience customer experiences that are created uniquely and interestingly. Um, new recipes, new ideas. Talk to some interesting baristas and hear about their life stories. So it's been great fun. That is pretty cool. What, uh, what's, the, what's your favorite story so far? My favorite story is about a barista who wants to come see China. We were talking about China. And um, she has tattoos of Chinese characters all over her arm. And I didn't have the heart to tell her some of them weren't what she thought they were. <laughs> but I told her if she ever comes to China, she can look me up and I'll take her to a proper tattoo artist. What does that happen all the time? Why, why are like, people like, yeah, it's peace and love. Dude, You're like, actually. No, you know, Google Translate. You can't Google trust Translate. Google Translate for body ink. Yeah, artificial it's, intelligence and, and tattoos don't always. It's always a big up. commitment. <laughs> Um, I think you touched on something really important, right? Like you, and we were talking about this before we started recording, um, the fact that you are doing nothing right now, right? In your new role, how important is it to do nothing? Because most of us get a new job and we're like, all right, let's, yeah. let's, make it happen. let's go do something because I want to improve myself, exactly. right? Um, but how important is it to do nothing? I think it's critical to do nothing, not just professionally, but in your personal life. <laughs> Creating space to do nothing. I, I heard this quote. I'm not even going to try to attribute it to somebody because I'm sure it'll be wrong. When, gosh, what is it? 
um, something like when you have nothing else to think about, what you think about is the true meditation of your heart. And I think when you don't do anything and you come off of one job, you, it's almost like a, a very lovely version of PTSD, right? <laughs> you very wake true. up and you grab your phone. You're like, no, no, I'm okay. I don't have to check emails today. And you wake up and then you're kind of like, I got to fix the house. You know, all this stuff has been waiting while I've been working. I want to get fixed up myself. I want to go get this thing done. And then after two months, you're like, you know what? Now I'm kind of good. So you wake up and you think, what am I going to do today? And that's when you kind of get to know yourself. Like, right. what do you want to do? when there's nothing commanding your attention? Or what do you think about when there's nothing requiring your mental energy? And that's, in, you know, I think at least in, in most cultures, right? Like we live in this must do yes. sort of life. Rushing. Personal and and professional. It's like, I have to keep doing it. It's hard to pump those brakes. It um, is. How do you go about doing that? What's your, what's your method? Well, this time I give all shout out to Starbucks because they've given me an 11 week immersion where they've said we are not getting you involved in projects. We're not emailing you. We want you to work as a barista in a store for a week. We want you to go experience our stores across China. We want you to go to Seattle and immerse. I mean, it's an incredible gift. So I give total credit to the company for creating that space for me. Right. In the past, I think I've probably um, taken some time off on my own between jobs. And I think that space is really important because it transitions you. It allows you to think about what I've done successfully, what I'd like to change about myself when I enter a new job. You know, how do you want it? You don't change who you are ultimately, but you can refine and you can you have a chance for reentry or sort of recreation of yeah. yourself to some degree. Well, you also like you definitely did sort of a was a decrescendo. What's this one when you go down? It's a decrescendo. Yeah, yeah, well you. done. <laughs> Good musical reference. <laughs> it, it was a struggle. Um, trust me. Uh, um, no, so because I. I know you from your hotel experience, yes, right? Um, yeah. And then I noticed just via social media, there was this like tapering off period where you were posting and talking about it and you know, there was a process to it. And then yeah. you know, kind of like couple that with your reentry, you know, uh, positioning. Tell us about the like the disconnection from, uh, you know, your old uh, life. I think it's an interesting thing to watch it through social media, your perspective, because it was very deliberate. When I left IHG, I wasn't leaving out of discontent or uh, any kind of upset. Actually, we had a great leadership team. And, you know, my boss had the luxury of choosing a couple of different options for who would succeed me on the bench. So it was a great opportunity to say, I've done what I wanted to do here. I've done what you've asked me to do. And I want to crave some bigger challenges, you know, versus I'm not the kind of person. I think it's important to know who you are and what you like to do, what gives you joy. Right. I'm not the captain of a steady ship. So once the ship is steady, I'm sort of like, well, I don't want to rock my own boat, but maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't want to be Aaliyah? Um, uh, no, <laughs> I would love to, but. I, well, she did it, R. Kelly. You know so who you whole, are. You don't want that. It's a whole different thing. Yeah, it's a whole different. That's whole not different Minky. Body. <laughs> so. So you kind of, you know, you figure out who you are and what gives you great joy when you wake up every day. And I realize maybe I want to go towards something different. Yeah. Um, so it was a very open. And like you said, I did post a lot about it, how to resign. Right. Yeah. Because I think you can celebrate it. A lot of times people send out these emails. that's like um, they've chosen to pursue their own personal ventures and then they disappear. And I didn't want to disappear. And I also had a great couple of opportunities. Our extended field teams over 5,000 strong, right? So when you have these big town halls, you don't want to have one of these big events and then send out one of those pursue personal interest emails. So okay. I announced my resignation really early so that I had the chance to let everybody know and socialize and communicate and celebrate all of our successes as a team and make it a 
positive experience for everyone. That's really great. Um, how, how early is early? Three full months. Uh, so you, that uh, it's a long you. time. No, look, nobody does it. People are like, "Look, two weeks. Give me these scissors and the stack of papers, <laughs> and I'm out." Sign here. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. No exit interview. No nothing. Um, uh, so you seem to be a very in tune. I'm going to call you a, a heart first business person. Um, a nice. just from the conversation that we we're already having. B from again, I'm, I'm a social media stalker, but um, I'm going to throw out some words that and things that you've discussed via social media. Okay, and I just want you to riff on them for a okay. quick second. Um, the first one, grief. Grief. So I was talking about letting people grieve because I think anytime there's a change, we are generally as human beings a little bit averse to change. So there's a during any transition, I think we have to give a period of grieving, letting people let go of what they had. They may not even have loved it, but it's hard to let go of it and prepare for something else. Or maybe they loved it and then it's even harder to transition into something new. So allowing that sort of period, and actually it works great now because again, my new company has given me this chance to immerse. It's a great period concurrently for everybody to get used to the idea that I'm here and get to know me a little bit. Um, so it sort of serves a dual purpose. Is it, yeah, because I mean, you know, a lot of people only associate grief with like the loss of a, a human being, right. right? Like, and we realize like change, any any form of change results in some form of grief because yeah. you're leaving something behind right. or something's being left behind. I think um, agility. Agility is the number one thing I look for when I'm hiring somebody. I think, look, you can teach. Um, the background of any sort of industry. I think you can even teach a set of leadership skills, but the ability to demonstrate agility, that's like a poem. Yeah, you the ability to demonstrate agility. Uh, Stefan, you got a beat? No, He's no beats? Like, All right. no, stop Engineers it. have no beats. <laughs> By the way, this is the SAE Institute. I just figured that there would be some beats on deck. I, I feel uh, like there are, but I just don't think he wants to hear it. Yeah, especially me. <laughs> Yeah, no. So I think agility is is the most important thing that we look for in leaders, because if you can flow, look at the world that we're in now and how fast changing it is. You know, I work in China. When you look at digital, um, we're now in a period of, as Jack Ma calls it, paying with your face. (laughs) I mean, that's awesome, right? So and then look at what's going to happen next. In my previous job, we were working on activating digital payment and we're working on activating um Alipay. And we're like, yeah, WeChat Pay, we'll get there. One year later, bam, WeChat Pay is now the big thing. And now we're behind the ball. So it's like, how can you demonstrate the kind of agility where you can not only flex to changing circumstances, but you can see around the corner to what's coming up and get ahead of the puck instead of chasing it. And not being married to certain ideas or concepts. I think that's the other part of it. It's like, especially if you're like, this is what we're going to do. And two weeks later, that needs to change. Right. like, no, 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 you can't be bullish about it. No, exactly. Um, Or too linear. Happiness. I like that word, but I think, okay, so I posted this thing in Chinese media, like years ago, I had a blog in Chinese to practice my reading and writing. And I posted the difference between happiness and joy. And I think happiness is this sort of superficial feeling that we generally chase. And that's a good thing. I think joy is this deeper emotion and you may be unhappy on the surface, but you may still be experiencing deep joy. And that's kind of a hard concept. And I think maybe my Chinese sucked. It didn't really land in Chinese culture. I thought that was interesting. Hmm. Um, But when I talk about this idea to my Western friends, they get the idea very much. Joy is this sort of underlying stabilizing um, source of energy Mm. and spirit, right? And happiness is the superficial ups and downs that you feel every day. That's interesting. I think most, like a lot of thoughts are around uh, 
you choose happiness, but actually you're choosing joy. Right? I think like you choose, in, yeah. From your perspective, it's a, happiness is it kind of is the result of something. Where joy just becomes like that's it's a way intentional. Of being. Correct. Correct. Happiness is sort of a reaction, right? It comes right. and goes. But joy is so. One of my life mantras is choose inner joy over power, and I think that's really well said. That that's something you can choose. Uh, when's your book of poetry coming out? <laughs> <laughs> that's what I want to know. When your book of poetry comes out, <laughs> uh, you talk about this. Um, that you read. You read this book every time you start a new role. First ninety days. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because well, I guess in year eleven, how many days is eleven weeks? I can't do math. Um, it's close to ninety days. Yes. But one of those principles is get in and get a win. Yeah. Right. Like, and there's there's a bunch of tenets and things that you probably want to do during those first few days, or first few weeks, months, whatever. Um, um, but have you had the opportunity to create a win for yourself or are you still in sort of this exploration immersion phase? For me personally, I'm in the exploration immersion phase. Right. I think if you come in almost too intentionally looking for the quote quick win, um, you look like you are. Right, right. <laughs> and that's a little bit daunting for people who are receiving you and probably still in a grieving phase. And it's a little bit linear. I think there's this phase of... Um, it's like the blob is what it is right now. You're absorbing everything. You're hearing different emotions and different reactions to the same question you ask five times to five different people. And you're just immersing this completely weird um, shaped thing. And it's completely not linear. And so all you do is you let these hypotheses slowly form out of the blob in your head. And you kind of, you know, you have this idea that, gosh, maybe this will be an opportunity. Or, you know, I wonder if this might this might need to evolve to face into the future. Or I wonder if this organizational design is ideal for, for whatever it needs to be in the future. So you have these sort of wonderings and you, right. I try really hard to let it be the blob as long as I can and not draw a conclusion. Because if you draw an early conclusion, you know, you're probably making assumptions that you, you shouldn't be. So I'm still in the blobby phase. <laughs> well, the blobby phase. This will be the title of this episode. Oh, the good. Blobby phase. Okay, good. <laughs> um, uh, when you were at IHG, the Intercontinental Hotel Group, which is a mouthful. Yes, did, it did is. I, did I say it right? You did. Well done. Intercontinental Hotel, which owns Holiday Inn. Um, mm -hmm. My research team found that out. Uh, this is a quote from you in that age. Our key message is that we serve you well because we know you well. I think that should be the goal of every marketer. Um, yes. But I would love for you to explain what you meant by that statement. So that was the selling line for our outbound China. Um, I just want China because it was either China or Chinese. Um, <laughs> I got <gone> local. <laughs> our outbound Chinese tourism initiative. So IHG has over 5,000 hotels worldwide. Right. We have something nine or 10 different hotel brands. And so when you have Chinese tourism going outbound, IHG is a great um, solution because whatever brand you want, whatever price tier, whatever location, we've got a hotel for you. So then it becomes, how do we serve Chinese tourists in particular? Well, what are they looking for? So we did a um, couple levels of research to understand what are the couple must haves. For instance, slippers. It's just part of what a Chinese traveler would expect is slippers in the hotel room, two bottles of water, a tea kettle to boil water, um, CCTV channels are important, et cetera. So understanding what they want and then making sure that we can operationalize that and deliver it in all of our um, China ready hotels 
So the the overall idea is we serve you well because we know you well. We know what you're right. looking for and we know how to deliver it to you. And then how do you commercialize that and create a set of videos and messaging that tells consumers when you go abroad, go to IHG Hotels because these are the things that we're going to have available right. for you. Well, that it's I think it's an, like I want to the phrase I have in my head is emotional service. Right. Yeah. You've tapped into something that's important to you. Right. But again, like broadly, if I'm an entrepreneur and I'm creating right. a product or if I'm Coca-Cola, like yeah. it's happiness is my thing. Like whatever right. it is, right. there is a level of research that goes into that. So for you as a marketer, mm. you know, what's what do you look at as an entry point for connecting with a consumer or a customer? Yeah, well, I think the idea that we serve you well is really important. It's not we have the six key benefits that you're searching for, (laughs) including, (laughs) you know, 10 times stronger hair and six times. (laughs) Yeah, it's not necessarily about a product claim or the benefit statement or some sort of promise. It's about an experience. And I don't think, you know, even the concept of marketing is to some degree this idea of a push, right? Right. It's like I'm going to market to you. Nobody wants to be marketed to anymore and they don't really um, need to accept it anymore. They can turn it off. Instead, it's about serving you. It's not just being in hotels or retail where we're providing service. I think every company should be thinking about how do I serve you? And what's the holistic experience that I would like you to have associated with my brand? When you talked earlier about technology integration, um, especially in China or just anyone listening around the world, right? Like you, how do you approach the integration of any form of technology, whether it's VR, AR, you know, R, R, I sound like a seal. No, like, what, what is your thought process and your consideration process and then the actual implementation process? I think it's actually the same answer for a totally different question, which is if you're pushing an AR technology, it's probably going to land flat. Because you're pushing something out versus trying to understand what the consumer desires to experience or how you might delight the consumer in a way they haven't even expected. So if you start with a consumer first or in the retail, you start at the store and work your way backward or start at a hotel and design backwards, then you can just figure out what technology can deliver the end result that you're expecting right. versus saying, I have an AR initiative, right? Or I have the newest, newest technology. Technology to me is an enablement to create an end experience. Yeah. Um, so kind of applying that to your new immersion, right? Um, I read something that, that even in Shanghai alone, there's 600 Starbucks. Um, and then, you know, and Starbucks has a goal to employ 10,000 people a year. Um, how does, you know, what are you starting to think about already as far as like, this is a big world, right? It's, yeah. it's even bigger than your hotel world. And even in like, I think the Shanghai number doubles New York city in terms of the number yeah. of Starbucks. So what are you already starting to go like, all right, this is an area I want to start right. to play in and start to provide that service yeah. via marketing. There are three things that drew me to Starbucks up front. And this is like, I Free must coffee. be, well, uh, you no, I'm happy to pay for my coffee. No, there, I think there are three things and it's, you know, I'm now speaking out of the blob, right? Because I haven't drawn conclusions yet, but the three things that drew me to the company, one was their digital experience. It's fantastic. In China, you can gift, you know, so we have this habit of giving red envelopes in China. It's like the gift that you give everybody when they get married or when they have a baby. Um, now you can gift Starbucks in the same way. And then, you know, there's this really interesting sort of it pulls on a deep consumer insight where you can gift 
a big sort of pot of red envelopes to a group of friends. And then in Chinese, you call it chang hong bao, which means you're you're fighting for those red envelopes and let's everybody taps into it as quickly as they can. And Chris might get two cents and Emily might get $20. Right. And it's, it's a fun gaming. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what you got. So now, um, Starbucks is offering the same thing, which is you can gift out to a group of friends, a number of different drinks and everybody taps and gets what they get. And it's just, it just makes it a fun way to gift. And it's the way that Chinese are accustomed to leveraging right. technology. So I think that's just the fact that, the company can do something like this and partnering with Tencent is awesome. So sure. the, the digital and the CRM capabilities really interest me because that's kind of where my heart and my passion are. The second thing is growth. Like you said, <laughs> when I first interviewed with Belinda, our CEO in China, she said, well, we're opening a store every 15 hours. So there are a lot of opportunities. And every 15 hours? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> that's amazing. That is crazy. So the opportunity to grow that fast, you know, I got to learn a bit about how you develop hotels. And I got to see a little bit about how Apple is right. growing in Asia. And then you think, okay, there's a there's a coffee shop opening every 15 hours. And this team is incredible. I just feel honored to be a part of it and see what they do and how well they do it. Yeah. I've never walked into a Starbucks shop that doesn't feel incredibly Starbucks and high quality and experiential. And then the third thing that matters to me a lot is you and I talked last year when we met is, you know, people call it CSR, but I'll just call it social impact. Right. The importance of social impact up there with profitability is something that's really close to my heart. It's a lot of what we spend our personal time on and finding a company that I feel like matches that moral value doesn't come along very often. So so those are the things yeah. that I'm really passionate about as I'm as I'm joining this sort of the new company and this new chapter in my life. Uh, as you, you know, been well versed and also come from a Midwestern, you know, background or beginnings of your career. What have you seen companies do wrong? Because in that same article, right, it talked about a lot of companies who are pulling out of China right. or selling off their assets and like, you know, we tried. Yeah. But meanwhile, here you have Starbucks, which is like, you know what? We're like, we're opening floodgates now every 15 hours, literally. <laughs> um, so, you know, what, what have you seen other brands do wrong? I think... Um I'll tell you, my, my initial reaction to your question is the leadership team at Starbucks is incredibly impressive. Like, in, you know, because I've been here just a couple weeks. Sure. <laughs> I can't speak deeply to sure, anything sure. that they're doing. But every single person I met, I thought, oh, my God, I can learn so much from this person. Right. Every single person in every function. The leadership team is incredible and incredibly humble. And it's, you know, I think there's this thing. I was talking to somebody about it recently, somebody I'm mentoring. She's like, you're so confident. You know, are you, do you feel like you're humble? And I said, actually, I think I'm, I think I'm both, but I don't think they're opposing things. And that's how I would describe the leadership team. I think they are humble and confident. They know what they want to do and they know how to do it. And they're incredibly humble. They're willing to roll up their sleeves and get work done. Right. They're willing to do what it takes and understand consumers and have enough, um, I guess, humility or lack of ego to say, I may not know how to do this. So let's go find out. And I think that's kind of different. The other thing I think you touched on that's super important is um, there's a quote that I like, which is every problem is a people problem, yes. right? So, and yeah. if your people are like, I'm the shit, and this is what I did at Company X, right. and you don't go in and sit there and shut up for 11 weeks, yeah, <laughs> right? You come in, it's I think that's where you, you 
kind of it's a big misstep. I think that's why I'm trying really hard not to draw conclusions and I'm living in the blob because who do I think I am? I've been here a couple of weeks, right? (laughs) Is I can sit here and listen to these incredibly smart people. People have worked at Starbucks for almost 20 years, right? They know that they've lived this culture. So it'd just be foolish to try and give an opinion at this point. So on your West Coast tour, are you also going into other, like, are you going to competitor shops or like local shops? Like, is it, or are you just hitting up all the Starbucks? Uh, no, no. Or Starbucks? What's the plural That's of Starbucks? A great question. It's sort hmm? of like octopus. Stefan knows. He probably you probably know. No, you don't. Okay, yeah, All right. octopus. just bowed out. That was quick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm going to everything. Okay. Uh, today I was at Grand Central. Yesterday I was in the Art District, and just trying to see. Again, it comes down to experiences. Right. Before I came out here, I went for a couple of days to Shenzhen, where we opened our first paw friendly store. It's just adorable. They're selling puppuccinos, for God's sake. That's amazing. <laughs> a a puppuccino is awesome. Yeah. Like, who doesn't want a puppuccino? <laughs> and then um, went to Guangzhou, and we had our first residential store. So, I, you know, I live in, I've lived in China now combined 10 years. So right. these, when we call it a neighborhood, it's like 10,000, 20,000 people in one neighborhood. Yeah. And imagine a Starbucks in the middle of that. I'm like, oh, my God, what an amazing experience. So it gives you license to create a different experience because yep. now you're a residential store. You're not on a street corner on 5th and whatever, right? So um, I got to see some of the new concepts that we're creating in China, which are incredible. And then coming out here, you get to see some very different experiences that are crafted for all kinds of consumers. That's amazing. Um, it really is. As you are the personification of East meets West, <laughs> what, what have you, what, like, what are some similar, I think, you know, on the surface, we like, China is so different, yeah. you know, and, or any part of the world, like, like yeah. it's so different. What are some of the basic similarities you've noticed where you're like, hey, it's it's the same yeah. thing? I, I've never been the one to raise my hand and say my region's different. Right. I think it's one of those um, boy that cried wolf. You don't want to say too often, right? Because fundamentally, humans are human. Fundamentally, when you walk into Starbucks, I believe you want a Starbucks. You want a Starbucks in China. You don't want a Chinese Starbucks. Right. I felt the same way about Apple and, and um, Holiday Inn or Intercontinental brand, whatever the brand is. People are coming because your brand represents something and people have an expectation of the experience that they're going to um, have. And so I think there's something fundamental about what that looks like wherever you are in the world that shouldn't change. Um, Creating delightful experiences wherever we are should be our priority in any industry to your previous point. I think none of that stuff changes. I think what's interesting about China is there are a lot more people. (laughs) That's a fact. Um, technology is leapfrogging the rest of the world in many ways. And that's a fact. And you've got to be able to stay on top of it, if not ahead of it. And um, I think the thing about China that's really interesting is anything is possible, but everything is difficult. And it just depends on what part of that formula you want to focus on. Right. You know, if you think anything's possible, yo, there are a lot of people out there. So you want to make something happen. Don't tell me you can't do it. Tell me what has to be true. Right. Tell me you need 650 bodies. Okay, I get it. <laughs> tell me how much money Live you need. Live bodies, right? No. Ideally. Well, it depends on what you're trying to create. True. I mean, any experience. Touche. Yeah. Um, but if you focus on the everything is difficult, it's going to be really difficult because right. you it's, it's all about mentality and it's all about attitude. And I think that's true everywhere in the world as well. But in China, the reason I've really enjoyed working there is because anything is possible. Well, I think you touched on something also. Um, with such a large population, how does any brand define critical mass? Right. Because I think when something becomes part of culture here, like uh, we kind of get a sense of X number of people are engaged in the brand, that behavior, whatever it is. 
But when there's so, you know, so many pockets and neighborhoods and, right. you know, just different hyper local cultures, what defines critical for any brand? Not, not necessarily yeah, Starbucks. Yeah, but. yeah. That's a great question. I think fundamentally we break out China as the key cities. You know, Shanghai, Beijing, Shenzhen, uh, depends on how you define it, Guangzhou. And then you get into tier one, tier two. I, I don't know where they're out to now. <laughs> so I really looked materially. It was like tier six or seven, but I hear it's like down to tier 15 now. But they're so different. If you think about the size and the diversity of the country with over 2000 dialects spoken, yeah, a tier 16 city is going to look incredibly different than a tier <laughs> one city. And how do you... Um, consider how one brand shows up or how do you define one experience? I don't think you can per se. I think you have to define clearly what holds true. What are the inviolable things about what I offer? And then you flex just like, you know, when you go to, (laughs) I remember the first time I went to a Starbucks, ironically in in Japan, well before I ever joined the company, I was like, what's coffee jelly? I want coffee jelly in my drink. (laughs) Give me two coffee jelly. I want a coffee jelly. That's amazing. (laughs) You might flex to local tastes. But ultimately, the Starbucks experience is still the experience. Um, we, we had the same conversation about Apple years ago. When you went into an Apple store in Japan, people would wear white gloves and they would give you a card with their name on it and step away quietly <laughs> to see if you were interested because that's a Japanese way of selling. Wow. But that's not the Apple experience. That's a Japanese Apple. That's not Apple in Japan. Right. And so that became changed to, and you have to overcome some serious emotional stuff there because it's not comfortable for a salesperson to go up and be like, hey, Chris, how are you? Are you interested in a MacBook Pro? Let me tell you about it because that's not culturally congruent. Right. But that is what Apple's all about. And it works brilliantly there. No, I had a friend who um, who used to work at Nike and would go and help them open up in other regions. And it is oh, like spending yeah. time with the culture yeah. and really understanding it. From an operational standpoint, you know, down to whoever's sweeping the floors up to, you know, I don't want to say down or up, but you get what I'm saying. Like, it's um, you, it's an entire ecosystem that you have to look at. You can't just replicate, you know, things. In, yeah. In- and I think to that point, it's got to come from a deep consumer insight. And generally, I've, I've been averse to focus groups for many years because you're not going to tap into deep consumer right. insights talking to six people where one is the most vocal, probably somebody like me. <laughs> you know, you when I worked at Procter & Gamble in health care. And we were trying to develop healthcare brands in brick countries back then. We called them brick still. You know, I was driving a jitney <laughs> in India with a guy who had a cold. And you have this experience of, my gosh, he needs to buy this pill called Action 500 that's like, I think it cost a penny. Right. And if he doesn't have it, he can't drive his vehicle and he's not going to make any money and his family can't eat. And when you live in their home and you understand what their life is like, you you can speak with a much deeper empathy and understanding yeah. for who you're trying to serve. You know, it's different than talking to focus group people and eating M&Ms in a dark room. Uh, de- maybe not def- I guess define empathy from your perspective and it, maybe as it relates to work. But I, I think that's a huge, like probably, in my opinion, the most important part of marketing, right? To really not just understand yeah. demographically and the stats and figures, Absolutely. but to understand the human experience, even if on the surface, it's coffee. Yeah. Everybody likes coffee, but you just yeah. touched on something really important, which is like that whole idea of empathy. I think empathy is critical. And I think if we just even forget focus group and the structure of that M&M room, I mean, one-to-ones, it's not it. When you talk about the red envelopes, right, you, you understand how the Chinese culture 
operates. Right. That comes from local leadership, people who understand the culture in a way that you can. I mean, I, I've lived in China 10 years. I speak Mandarin pretty well, but there are still a million phrases I can't understand because they're riffs off of existing language and they're right. things that, you know, if you if you're not Chinese, it's really hard to follow, but that's where you have to rely on your local leadership to give you those insights or um, you have to learn it yourself. And so one of the things we do as a family is we get involved in the communities that our businesses serve and we get involved with the people that we live with. So my friends know that we've never lived in sort of expat villas. You know, we right. live in a Chinese apartment in a Chinese community and um, we've never had like a fancy car. And <laughs> I think it's important if you're in China be Chinese, live in China and take right. the metro. You know, I know a lot of people who've lived in Shanghai have never taken the metro. I'm like, how do you, I mean, how do you buy metro I've advertising? I've seen a YouTube video of a guy getting stuffed into the... <laughs> I've been, <laughs> I almost said the phrase I've been stuffed on radio and I just did. Um, you yeah, just did, I yeah. Mean, <laughs> well, we will not go. edit that either. <laughs> Yeah, especially in Tokyo, the people pushers. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, but I think it's important to live the life and to experience what it's like. Like when I dropped my daughter off at school, especially a couple of years ago when she was littler, you know, we would cross the street and run by the local um, garbage pile. I don't know what else to call it. <laughs> it was disgusting. The local and then pile. you cross the street and there's a lady squatting on this one curb and she'd be gutting frogs. She could do like two frogs a second, that woman. And you can buy a bag of gutted frogs for dinner. And as you cross the street and you got closer to her school, they would sell hairy crabs during hairy crab season. There'd be these little hairy crabs running all over the streets. Right. And this is life. You know, this is amazing and it's rich. And I always want to wear a GoPro every time I walk around China. I just want my <laughs> friends to see China. You know, it goes great with gutted frog. It does. No, you know what? What? Oh, what? Oh, I thought you meant, you know, watching a little GoPro with gutted frogs. Yeah, frog. well, that would be a great. What goes great with gutted frogs? Coffee. <laughs> so. Starbucks uh, coffee goes great with everything. <laughs> um, you are a parent and a wife um, and a mother. I guess it's all one and the same. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> not one and the same. It's you. But, um, you know, I, I like, I'd like to think that the, the reason you share a lot of material online and you share your thoughts and your insights and your processes, part of us, we always want to leave a little bit of legacy, give yeah. a gift to the people that surround us. Um, how does that dribble down <laughs> into, into, your, into your home? It's really your eloquence that strikes me. Yeah, yeah it just dribbles down. It, it was the mannerism. Nobody will ever see what I actually just did. I kind of, you know. It's not uh, awkward at all. Tittled I'd, it away. I'd rather think I don't dribble. <laughs> Should I dribble? No, uh, family's at the top of the apex. And then, you know, then you, know, you feed it up. How about that? We oh, push. got it. I'll, okay, I'll, well, re I'll reverse. It. You flip the triangle a little yeah, yeah. bit. Yeah, flip the triangle. <laughs> When I first started writing on LinkedIn, that was last year. Because I think, you know, every year my family... Okay, so let me step back and I'll come back to your question. Every year during New Year's, we don't do resolutions, but we each get an easel. Ever since my daughter was like way too young to even hold a paintbrush, you know, and we lay out our vision for the year. For a while, we were doing like our goals. Here's the thing I want to challenge myself. Here's the thing I want to do that I've never done before. Here's the thing I'm afraid of that I'm going to overcome. And then it got a little anal because my daughter, I love you, Lainey, but you're very anal. And you, she used to grade <laughs> us as a scorecard and be like, this one, yes. This one, no. This one, I give you half credit. And I'm like, okay, that took all the fun out of it. <laughs> so then we started these canvases and we just would paint like, what's our vision for the year? So every year we have these things that we wanted, like last year she wanted to adopt, rescue a dog and she wanted to learn how to ski downhill because she was kind of afraid of that. And she wanted to play piano with two hands. I wanted to learn the cajon drum. This year I wanted to write. So you just pick a challenge. And you know, some people have asked me, are you writing a lot to like market yourself? I'm like, Dude, if I were trying to market myself, I'd do a much better job of it because <laughs> I would like to think I'm a better marketer than that. 
I just started. Kind of ironic, isn't it? It is, isn't it? <laughs> no, I just started writing because I gave myself a personal challenge. And if you look at my old LinkedIn blogs, they were all hand drawn because I made this little personal challenge for myself that said, I can only use the utensils available to me in the immediate vicinity. So it was like whiteboard markers and highlighters. Very cool. Just for fun. And right. what I started writing were the things that I found myself saying over and over again. So, you know, at a level, you don't do a lot of work. You right. teach and you coach and you engage your teams and you break down barriers. That's your life. And you find that you kind of repeat the same sort of stories or paradigms. And I thought, well, maybe I'll just post them online and see what happens. That's literally how far the thinking went. And then I was like, well, maybe I need to look a little less sketchy. And so that's how it grew. And I found out that I really, really enjoy writing. I, I didn't, I've never taken a writing course. I don't think I'm a writer by any means, but I really like this idea of sharing something. And then you, you find that, you know, I was telling my daughter about this the other day, a lot of people who write comments, both positive and negative, I don't know who any of them are. It's not like I've met them in my, right. you know, non-virtual life. We've just been connected on this social media platform. Most of the negative ones were me, by the way. Just, you know, oh, I so you're Sundeep. Yeah, 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 I'm Sundeep. <laughs> And you're like, I was going to do a very Scottish racist man. accent, but then I was like, <laughs> no, no, no. Not, not the quite, not the full. Pull it back. <laughs> <laughs> I think a couple of Scottish people also really don't like me. So you could do a Scottish accent too. Oh, that, <laughs> those are fun. Um, but yeah, so I, I think it's, it just started off as a way of sharing. And my daughter knows that. And in fact, she just posted the other day on WeChat, which is our Chinese platform. And she has a WeChat account. She's like, mom, I'm following you on LinkedIn. They're pretty good. I'm like, thanks, eight-year-old child. <laughs> <laughs> that's good, though. No, that's, it's great to take, you know, I think as marketers, we are storytellers, right? Yeah. You're telling stories across platforms. You're using that empathy to create something that is attractive to people. And you're extending a Starbucks story and I she story and the Apple story into yeah. all sorts of experiences and messages and things like that. So, uh, and I do enjoy your writing. So, uh, despite <laughs> that, my negative Lainey. comments, it's, well, it's thank you. <laughs> it's fun. So how it trickles to my family is I tell her all the time, ever since she was really little, I'm like, your, your social fingerprint will outlast you. So what you say kind of matters, you know, so mm -hmm. think about it. And a lot of times I am sharing more spontaneously. And so she does check my writing. <laughs> and long ago, I told her, I won't post anything about you or any of your photos unless you agree to it, because this is what you're going to have to live with in the future. Right. Which is why she's rarely in photos. Or if I post about her, it's often just her fingers, you know, because she's like, <laughs> no, I don't want to be on this one. <laughs> Let's play guess whose finger. Yeah. And she, she reminds me about security all the time. She's like, you don't really need to tell people where we live, mom. I That's mean, really I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, no, or like we're on vacation. I, like I, I'm, I'm a big, right. like I don't post vacation or trip photos yeah. until we get back. Yeah, <laughs> you don't really need <laughs> like, to, yeah. Yeah, just all, all that sort of stuff. Um, you're giving a TED Talk pretty soon. Um, In November, I heard, yeah. I heard through a little birdie. <laughs> um, a peacock, in fact. Um, what? Uh, tell me a little bit about that topic because it's it's very fascinating. So one of my goals originally for the year was to write a book about the spare room. And that's the title of the TED Talks. So I think the TED Talk might actually become what was intended to be a book. And that's OK. That's agility, right? Um, <laughs> getting higher on your own supply. <laughs> Which is the best high of all. <laughs> exactly. So it's about the spare room. And we've had... Um, not intentionally, 15 different kids living in our spare room over time. And when I say R, it started off when I was 19 and I was single and I found a little girl sitting on the side curb who'd just been beaten up and I took her home. And over time, as I got married, um, I married an incredible guy, Minky, and he shares that vision. So Who also has beautiful hair, by the way. He, his hair's longer than mine now. It's, yes. like, it's flowing. It's like, it's like an Asian Fabio. Oh, God. Now I have to get a divorce. <laughs> Thanks for that. Thanks for that it was a good 17 years, Minky. <laughs> We're done. 
So we continue to open up the spare room to people in life who just, I mean, literally people ask like, how did you meet the so-and-so? How did that person come into your room? They're all completely random stories where like life just brings them to our doorstep. And then after Lainey was born, we thought about it again because we're like, okay, we don't know this person. Are we going to offer them a spare room when my daughter's in the nursery across the hall? And ultimately it just comes down to like, who do you want to be in this world? When you meet need, life is kind of binary. Are you going to try and address that need or are you going to keep walking? And it's just that um, simple for me. And I think over time, we've met the most interesting people and we've had the most interesting experiences in our spare room. And we've gotten sort of audaciously generous over time because each one gets more interesting. And then you start feeling like, you know, I made this very, very small commitment to give sure. and look at the change that happened. So we're going to continue doing it as long as, you know, life serves up somebody else in need. So Lily was the last girl who lived in our spare room. She moved out about a month ago. And she was our 15th. So that's what the TED Talk is going to be about. I'll be sharing a couple of the stories from our spare bedroom. What what made you care enough to repeat this over and over? It's one thing to do it. It's, yeah. it's one thing, First of all, it's one thing to think about it. Like, we all go like, ah, poor kid. Let's <laughs> take him some soup. And then maybe we'll see him again the next day. But not, like, invite the individuals into our, our homes and then do it over and over again for, like you said, for such a long period of time. What was it that, you, you know, why did you care so deeply about giving this spare room to, to individuals? I don't want to overstate it. I don't even think, um, <laughs> I don't care. No, I, I don't think it's because I care that deeply. Actually, I think it started when I was a kid. And you know, when you're a kid, you're kind of an idiot. You don't think through consequences or what might happen. Right. I just saw a little girl on the side of the street who was hurt. And I was like, I just can't drive by. And I just unrolled my window as you did back then, you know, yes, <laughs> manually. Exactly. And um, I brought her into my car and I took her to dinner at Friendly's. And um, she started to walk away after she ate. And I was like, I can't let her go back out there. She'd just gotten beaten up. She hadn't even told me her story yet. Right. But she was young. And I ended up putting her in my, quote, spare bedroom. I was only in a studio apartment. Is, so. is, and is this your Ohio days? No, this was in New York. Okay, I was okay. still in school. Yeah, got it. Um, so there was actually no spare room at the time. It was just sort of like an adjacent cot next to my cot. <laughs> but she needed a place to stay. So I don't think it was, you know, I don't want to overstate it and say that I was very generous or deeply touched. I just felt like I couldn't let her go back out in the rainy night. Right. And then I guess as I got to know her over time, and the first thing I realized is I'm not very different than her at all. You know, a lot of Chinese, she's, she was a Korean girl. She's 14. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I come from a Chinese background and a lot of Asian parents raise you through um, not positive reinforcement. <laughs> You'll reinforcement. hear just, I'm just going to call it reinforcement. <laughs> like, you know, your cousin's smarter than you. Why can't you be as good as so-and-so? How dare you get a B plus? What's so wrong with you or what have we done wrong you know right, right, kind right, of, right. you know and and that's just how they were brought up so that's how they bring us up and you know this little girl her parents were like you got she got a b plus in science and they're like you're not even worth the effort your little brother is so much more worthy than you you should just leave and that's it and then she left and she right. ran away and before you know it she's learning how to steal cigarettes and smoking cigarettes and then she's trading favors to do, you know and that's how quickly it happens yeah and I guess as I got to know, I just felt like I heard those words. What made me any different? I just didn't run away. Or maybe I didn't have the balls to do it. Or yeah. I, you just realize you're not different than anybody else in this world. And then who are you to walk by them if you can help them? Because that could just as easily have been you. Yeah. I guess that's what hit me when I was so young. And then some of my friends would be like, you got this kid living with you? Like, what are you doing? What if she steals your money? What if she kills you in your sleep? And you're like, well... 
it's a it's a faint possibility, but <laughs> not really. And then I think you live through. I guess that's what you call faith. But yeah, what are you gonna steal? <laughs> <laughs> um, that's what faith is, right? You take a step into an unknown mm. and not knowing exactly what's gonna happen, and you find that something really great happens. Yeah. And then you know life serves up another one, and you're that much more willing to jump because you think, well, the first one turned out pretty well. Let's do it again. And then you get to a point where you're bringing, you know, a child brought a child bride into our home. Um, my daughter, I think she'd not been born yet. It was in Arkansas. Yeah. And she'd just been badly treated by her husband. She was right. 17 when she got married and, you know, she was divorced by 19. And what do you do if somebody's been kicked out of her home? And she, I remember she came over one day and she, she had this ripped up piece of notebook paper and it said, I hate your personality. I'm done. And she found that on the door and the locks had been changed and that was it. And she's like, what do I do? And she was, you know, that sobbing hysterically, like yeah. a really not pretty Hollywood <laughs> cry. Yeah. Yes. And you're like, well, well, it's that's not the pretty Hollywood cry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Continue. <laughs> Sorry. So then, you, you know, I don't know. I think over time, yeah. it's not like a deeply deep sense of generosity. It's just right or wrong. It's like, well, am I going to give her a place to stay or not? Yeah, I applaud you for that. You know, I think you've taken a lot more steps than most of us would have taken. Um, and I also think that it kind of plays back into your empathy perspective as a marketer, right? For because sure. I think you learn to understand the universal human truths, right? And yeah. the dark side of those right. universal human truths. And so you, you start to, you know, the storytelling at its core, it's still the same thing. We all want the same things, happiness, freedom, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I commend you for that. Um, tell us a, a little bit about Teo. I, 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 mm-hmm. love, I love this story. Um, and and he's a huge Justin Bieber fan. So that's Oh, <laughs> gosh. Jackie, how could you do that to me? Jackie's his new mother. <laughs> nice. Um, Teo's a little boy who came to our house after a surgery that had gone wrong, sort of deliberately by the doctor. And then he was born with hydrocephalus. And then he had another surgery by this fabulous um, nonprofit who takes care of special needs children who aren't thriving in orphanages. And he needed a place to recover. So we were a healing home. And um, he there was there's actually a fair chance he wouldn't live, you know. And I remember having this conversation with my daughter who had already had two spare room occupants in our time in Shanghai. And at the time she was only three, maybe four, three or four. And I told her, honey, this one's going to come live with us, maybe, this little baby. But he may not live. So how do you feel about bringing somebody into our spare room who we might have to say goodbye to? And I remember she couldn't even say ours at the time. Yeah, so she's probably three. And she looked and she's like, what's the alternative? And I'm like, <laughs> well, the alternative is he stays well, in the orphanage. <laughs> what's so, the alternative? <laughs> <laughs> she actually did have a British teacher at that point. So oh, she, she oh, came home with all kinds of accent. Yeah. She asked me, what's the alternative? And I was like, well, I guess he stays in the orphanage. She's like, well, go get him. And I thought, that, yeah, it is. that's what it is. I think, you know, what my, my, my answer to your question is I'm childlike. <laughs> it's yeah. very simple. Well, I, and I was thinking about that, too, because I think there's a certain naivete we have to yeah. we have to maintain. Right. You have to maintain this sense of uh, being, being stupid, you know, being stupid enough to try something, being stupid yeah. enough to risk yeah. You know, your safety right. to, to put it in. Or be vulnerable, right? Or, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and we, I think we lose that over time, you know, cut back to our earlier conversation about these executives who, you know, from other organizations who um, 
come in as know-it-alls, right? right? And it's right. like, okay, I know how I know how it's done now. You forget to be stupid and like just put bullshit on the on the whiteboard yeah. for a second and like, like shoot it down. Yeah, tell exactly. me what I don't know, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, the show is called Innovation Crush. Did anybody tell you that? We told you that. I right? did. Yeah. Okay. It was in the, it was <laughs> I've, I've heard a couple in, of them in the letter. <laughs> Um, uh, what is your current innovation crush? We've talked about all sorts of stuff so far. We've talked about culture. We've talked about technology. We've talked about orphans. <laughs> What's something out there that you are currently like crushing on and gives you goosebumps? Oh, I hope she's not embarrassed by this. I just met my friend Sandy. She and I used to work at Apple and I'm, I have this thing. I was just thinking about this. I don't know how to wrap my mind around it, but I have this crush on her, right? Because she worked at Excite back when Excite, I think, was the thing. I'm sorry. I don't think it's the thing anymore. And then she worked at Apple for many years. And in between, she was a massage therapist and an heirloom tomato farmer. <laughs> and I just find her really fascinating. I was telling her, I think you're one of the most interesting people I know because, you know, a lot of high school kids, I, I speak sometimes, you know, to these students and they often ask the number one question you get asked now is what kind of jobs are going to exist for me by the time I'm ready to enter the wow, workforce? Really the number one, yeah, the number one question. Awesome. And, you know, you, they hear a lot of different answers. And for me, I guess the spectrums continuing to widen in the middle is just maybe not to, where to focus on. So it becomes, are you the the leading edge tech where you can facilitate the next step for us? Or do you swing all the way to the other side, which is completely um, something that only humans can do, right? It, right? I don't know. I feel like there's this great divide between the totally tech um, savvy and digital forefront of where we're going. Sure. And then there are the things that machines can't do and maybe can never do, like fondle and sing to heirloom tomatoes <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. and there's something about her i haven't wrapped my mind around how to phrase it yet but the fact that she spans that great divide from one end all the way to the other to me i just told her i just feel like you're the future i don't know what it is yet that that you can go lead you know um publication publishing at apple and right. You can nurture heirloom tomatoes to grow, and you can do it all in one person. I you think Sandy's my innovation crush. I think crush. we all need those things that kind of keep us grounded in a way, or like yeah. set in reality, like you, like like right. your spare room, for instance, right? There are complete other stories outside of being the CMO of Starbucks China, right? As far as like the things that we can fill our head with. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe the point is the future is making the extremes more extreme. Mm -hmm. And it takes more um, stretching and agility to be able to straddle that or to span the extremes from one end to the other. Sure. And the people who can do that are the ones that I'd crush on. Um, I'm going to figure out how to do it then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I am divorcing Asian Fabio now, so you're in the running. <laughs> they got, got black Fabio. Uh, I need a wig, though. Damn it. You know where I can get a wig, Stefan? <laughs> Around here, nearby. Like, We're in Hollywood. Yeah, I think we. I think we can find a wig somewhere. <laughs> um, complete this phrase for me. Okay. You ready? Ready. Innovation to me is creating something that doesn't exist but should. That's awesome. God, I'm glad that came off the top of my you, mind. That, that was Total just... silence would have been really awkward, especially because <laughs> I'm really short and I feel like you only see my eyes. I'm like a beanie boo across the table from you. Exactly. <laughs> um, on that note. <laughs> you can edit that. <laughs> no, I won't. I will not edit it. I refuse. Um, where can people find you? I want, I want people to read more of your pontifications. Oh. That, yeah, that's a word. Pontifications. That is a word. Yes. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. It's Emily Chang. 8621. And uh, yeah, that's probably the best way to reach me on awesome. LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for joining us. Did you, have, did you have an okay time? I had a great time. I was so happy to see you again. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, we should go have some coffee. Number 20. I'd like to have number 20 coffee with you. Let's do That'd it. be perfect. Let's uh, go. Everyone, this has been another installment of Innovation Crush recorded right here at the SAE Institute. SAE Institute. SAE, I said it right. Um, and we will <laughs> talk to you next time. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs>